bought my first home at the age of 23, lived in one room and rented out the other rooms in order to pay the mortgage. As I developed more equity and savings, I bought my first out-of-state single-family home rental in Alabama. This led to another single-family home rental in San Antonio, then three fourplexes in Kansas City, and a 16-unit apartment complex, and most recently a 36-unit apartment complex back in Alabama. Now I own 70 rental units across four states and I'm only 28 years old. I hope my story can help you unlock your potential for financial freedom and fulfillment in life. The voice you just heard is Jenny Locke, a successful real estate professional and investment coach. The details of her real estate progression speak for themselves and are truly impressive and inspiring. This conversation will share important considerations for anyone wanting to invest in rental properties, as well as key strategies to implement and pitfalls to avoid. I'm grateful to be able to introduce to you all today, my friend, Jenny Locke. Welcome to Changing Lives Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. This podcast was originally created to spotlight the leaders, alumni, and friends of the Cutco Vector Marketing community who are leveraging their positive influence to empower people all over the world to change their lives. Every few weeks, we go outside of the Cutco Vector sphere to bring you a guest who is teaching others how to have a more successful and fulfilling life, both personally and professionally. The special guests we bring to you here in episodes like today's are successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. The lessons they share are compelling, real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome, everyone, and hello. I have an awesome guest today, a personal friend of mine named Jenny Locke. And uh, Jenny is outside the Cutco community, but is has many ties, as you will hear today during our conversation. She is a full-time realtor in the San Francisco Bay Area. She was recognized by the National Association of Realtors in their 30 Under 30 recognition for her top performance. She also is a highly successful real estate investor who has about 70 rental units uh, that she owns that are providing her with passive income. She does some real estate coaching in that area under the brand of Zen Coast University. And uh, as you'll find out today, we have done business together And I've always uh, been impressed with Jenny and the work that she does. And I'm really excited to be able to bring her influence and her stories to our audience today. And so Jenny Locke, welcome to the podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. I really look up to you a lot and excited to share with the community here that you've built. Wonderful. Well, I'd like everybody to get to know you a little bit. And I think it's pretty cool that your time in sales really dates back to when you were 12 years old. Tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, and how you, uh, you know, your background and just how you took part in different sales things before uh, becoming a professional. Awesome. Yeah. So my name is Jenny Locke and I also grew up in Brooklyn, New York. So some people call me Jenny from the block. And uh, my first ever sales gig was 
I uh, selling sneakers. I would pick up sneakers from eBay and different websites and clean them up and then resell them, take nicer photos and make a profit. And I was only 12 years old at the time. And that was my first sales gig. And afterwards, I um, in high school, I would always put together a lot of events for friends and uh, different parties such as after prom and going to Bahamas. And I'd always collect extra funds and then go on the trips for free. I didn't make too much of a profit, but at least going for free was always very enlightening to me. I was like, wow, there's some hustle and some entrepreneurship mentality there. And growing up in Brooklyn, New York, I knew that it wasn't a place for me because it was so cold. (laughs) So I decided my junior year of high school, I want to go to California. So then I applied senior year to go to University of Southern California and got in and uh, became a Trojan out there. During that time, I even sold a USC football season tickets. I didn't even know what football is because growing up in New York, we didn't really have good football teams. And then also did some transition during the summers and sold life insurance and a lot of different things throughout. So I feel like sales has been in my blood all throughout. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. That's great. And you grew up in in Brooklyn in New York City. Yes. Mm -hmm. Wow. So grew up there in the big city, densely populated New York, and then ended up at uh, Southern Cal for college. That's great. What were your first stops on your post-college career path? So I actually wanted to become a teacher and I got into Teach for America and I was going to be positioned in Rhode Island. I remember when I was a little girl, I would teach my stuffed animals. Uh, They had their white and black marble notebooks. So I always wanted to educate others. But my dad was a teacher back in China and he told me, I was like, hey, I didn't pay for your USC tuition to go become a teacher. So I went the other route and got a job at Oracle. So those were the two options. And I became a technology sales rep over at Oracle in the San Francisco Bay Area. So I really appreciate the experience there, but I didn't really know what I was selling either (laughs) because they kept on buying and acquiring new companies and the technology reps, they didn't even really train us. And I also had a territory in Denver, so it was hard to meet people face-to-face. So then I really decided to take a different route and go into real estate because it is more face-to-face, more personalized, and actually see what I'm selling too. Yeah, exactly. So at Oracle, the day-to-day role was not super clearly defined. The training wasn't what you would have hoped for as far as, you know, providing you with clarity and a, a, a simple path to follow. I'm just thinking about like the things we do in Cutco that probably don't happen in most places. And I can certainly relate to that from having heard a lot of stories of other people I've worked with venture off into that sort of a sales environment. And that all led you to want to try to get into real estate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So tell us, tell us about uh, your experiences starting out in the real estate sales world. So uh, while I was still at Oracle, I made a goal to purchase a house by the age of 28 years old. Then I 
read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, went to some seminars and did some coaching around real estate. And I ended up buying my first house at the age of 23 years old in South San Francisco. And I rented out rooms in the house and it ended up paying for all of the mortgage. And I didn't have to pay rent myself. I have leveraged a home equity line of credit from my parents' house to be able to put for the down payment and then got a mortgage on my own. So it was all bank money that we borrowed to purchase a house at $870,000. And we were able to refinance it just last year for $1.24. So that really helped snowball effect into me wanting to get into real estate and teach others of, hey, if you set a goal for yourself, you can actually do it quicker, right? <laughs> I wanted yeah. a house at 28 and I bought a house at 23 years old and uh, built over $100,000 of equity per year. And a lot of people don't know what they don't know. So that's where I really wanted to get into real estate and educate people similar to our age. And hey, you can get into something as well too. And before I became a full-time real estate agent, I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> and I ended up buying a out-of-state investment property in Huntsville, Alabama, and got some cash flow from that as well too. And I was just looking for ways to buy more property. And there's some limitations of being able to purchase properties on a, a W-2 income. And with certain territories where I didn't even know what I was selling, there was a, a cap within corporate. So I decided to go into the full-time real estate agent route to really dive in. And there's no cap. And similar to working at Cutco, there's no cap, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. No cap on what you can earn. It's all up to your own effort. And then also, of course, as an investor, being able to have your real estate license is a key part of being able to make real estate investing more, I guess, easier to be profitable with. And I'm impressed that your place was 870000 that you first bought. To, to most people listening to the podcast, they're probably thinking like, oh my God, this is crazy. This is the Bay Area, right? San Francisco Bay Area. But I, I bought a house when I was 23 also, just like you said. And but my first house was two hundred and thirty-five thousand dollars. So I had to have fifty-seven grand mm -hmm. down when I bought that house. I still remember. Whereas in your case, buying an eight hundred seventy thousand dollars property, like you know, you need quite a bit to be able to to do that. But what I heard you say is you used an equity line on your parents' house for the down payment, which was nice that you were able to do that. But then you were able to live in the house effectively for free. Mm -hmm. Right, you were renting rooms that were covering the entire mortgage, so you're living rent free, right? While this house is building equity for you, it's just such a great way to to you know be a first time buyer in the real estate market for almost anyone. And it's yeah. not even including all the tax benefits that I'm getting as well too, which we can dive into as well. Where being a real estate professional and even an investor, you don't have to be a real estate agent. Um, last year, I actually got a $52,000 check back from the IRS because I was able to depreciate my uh, first property, which is a full rental right now. Yeah. Wow. So, so impressive. I love that. So you, you're working at Oracle, you buy your first house, you realize how awesome this is. You get this rental in Alabama, which is an apartment complex, right? The first one was a single family home. First it one was a single family home. Okay. 
Yeah, $60,000, a lot cheaper than the Bay Area. Ended up putting only $15,000 for the down payment and renting it out about $800 a month and getting cash flow about $150 a month. Yeah, wow, that's great. A $67,000 house in Alabama Mm -hmm. required you to put down 15 grand and you're able to rent it for 800 a month. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's pretty impressive. I like that. And so these ventures sort of led you to say, you know what, I want to be in real estate professionally. And you made the leap from Oracle Mm -hmm. to get into professional real estate, right? Someone reached out to me and I ended up um, joining their team. Uh, He mentioned on, I remember it was like Christmas uh, timeframe and I was actually looking for other jobs. I interviewed for Salesforce and Amazon and I always make it to the final round interview, but there's just something there where my only purpose to get a new job was to get a higher income to buy more property. And then he reached out and he just said, Hey, Jenny, do you know of anyone looking to get into real estate and joining a team? And I wasn't planning to actually become a real estate agent. (laughs) I just wanted to become an investor, but I was at a slump and I was like, okay, I'm not making these last final rounds. So I decided to explore that route of becoming a real estate agent. Okay. And uh, tell us about some of your experiences during that time. So in the beginning, I made the transition in March 2017 and started knocking doors and reaching out, cold calling. And also how I met you was via Craigslist and reached out uh, via estate sales. I saw that you were selling some furniture and had some potential clients who were looking at properties in the San Mateo area. And that's how we connected. And I remember, I know you know a lot of real estate agents as well, and you said that as well. And I put in a proposal for you and shared with you how we were able to be slightly different from other agents because I was so hungry. I was like, okay, I want to get my first listing. And I remember sending a Disney storybook to uh, your daughter, Kiana. (laughs) And then I think from there, you're like, okay, Jenny, I'm open to meeting you. (laughs) And then the rest was history and we're able to sell your family's house from there. I can remember that we were, yeah, we were selling my mom's old house and so we were, you know, selling off some of the furniture and stuff like that. And that's where you saw that, you know, we were having an estate sale, which I guess that's a dead giveaway. Somebody's probably going to be selling a property. And I had a realtor that I had worked with on many, many jobs, but sort of specialized in the South Bay area, which is not where this was. And then we had another contact who was up further towards where this was in San Mateo, who we were planning to use. I mean, it was it was pretty much we talked about it. We hadn't finalized, but we were kind of going that direction. And, you know, you kind of came in and said, you know, what do you think? Can, can I present to you what we have to, to say? And you, you did a great job. Like you were really persistent in a pleasant way. You answered my objections that I had without just sort of taking it as a no. And when you presented the way that you would market and sell the property, you guys really had your act together. And it was very impressive. You, you did your homework. You were prepared for the conversation. You delivered well. And it just made sense to work with you. And then you guys did a great job on the sale. I mean, the bottom line is it was an excellent process. And I, would, I came away thinking I would highly recommend you to anybody that was you know, doing business up there. So that was great. It's cool to hear that this was your first like, <laughs> real 
real real estate sale, right? That I helped you. I was your first customer, right? So your very first client. I, I never shared that with you that you my first at that time because I didn't want you to think, hey, she doesn't know what she's doing. But I did a lot of research and having gone through the home buying process a couple of times at that, I knew what would really put forward for a great listing. Yeah. And man, you certainly had a good team leader that knew what they were doing and provided the right level of experience and background. So that's pretty cool. So from there, you continued, I assume you began building more and more success. Tell us more about some of your experiences, you know, during that, that period of time. So in the beginning was a lot of hustle and a lot of going from door to door and uh, reaching out to neighbors in the house that I first bought in South San Francisco. I would meet neighbors and just say hello. And here are some of the comparables of sold homes come by to our, our open houses in the area and eventually built some rapport. I've gotten a lot of people who said no, slammed doors on me, don't ever come by my house again. Also gotten creepers being a young female. It's not really easy to uh, go door knocking, but just worked and grinded and really focused on helping and sharing my story. And I think that's within sales, what's more unique about our approach is sharing my vision and my why. And I remember talking to your sister and I just shared with her why I'm working so hard was because I want to help my immigrant parents who immigrated here in the 80s who don't speak English to be able to retire sooner. They work 14-hour days, seven days a week in a clothing factory. And they're my big why. So I wake up every morning. I like to share it with my clients as well too. And they see that personal touch and approach um, that we're uh, doing to really make, make a shift to be able to make sure, hey, we can really help you out and you'll be able to help my parents retire. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I mean, obviously your parents sent you to USC and they helped you with the the down for your first property to get you this whole ball rolling for you and for you to say that, you know, your big why is to help them now in return. Like that, that's really awesome to hear. Uh, so cool. So you're doing this, you're, 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 you're working on the real estate team and gradually there are opportunities that are showing up in your life. And ultimately these opportunities led you to want to branch off on your own and do what you're doing now. Tell us a little bit about what some of the key moments were along the way for you during those years. Definitely. There's been a lot of transitions and I actually want to thank you for some of the introductions to some amazing leaders that were also on your podcast in the past, like Ben Skemper. He's a coach of mine and really realizing how to unlock my potential and be able to build, build a life for others and build out my own team. And also be able to share like my knowledge of being able to build real estate and passive income for others was the main goal. And he really helped me enlighten that. And then also I got connected to uh, Michael Chu, who was also a Cutco guy too. And he coaches for Health and Wealth Academy. So he actually, we got connected and I started becoming his real estate coach for his community and his coaching program. And that was my initial first uh, 
Sorway as like teaching and coaching students. A lot of cookout people in the program. One guy, Alex Funk, um, he's 20, I think he was 20 years old and he bought a house to house hack and live in and for rent free as well. And that was really enlightening to see like, hey, I was able to help a 20 year old buy a house and guide him and coach him. So that led into me wanting to build out a coaching business and be able to teach more of my friends and our network. Hey, you can do this too. If this 20 year old can do it, you can do it too. Yeah, that's great. So yeah, I can remember introducing you to Ben mm-hmm. Scamper and to my, I think I might've introduced you to Mike Ambrosino first, but uh, you ended up getting into Ben Scamper's coaching program mm-hmm. and you've learned a ton. You've met a lot of cool Cutco people in there. Don't you know, like Brandon Brown and Kyle Lopes and a few others? All of them. And yeah, Brandon, we were at a retreat. I'm speaking to him tomorrow, actually, <laughs> about potentially learning about Ben Coast University. <laughs> yeah. So cool. So you got involved in Ben's coaching and this, he inspired you. I love the, the theme of unlock your potential, un-L-O-K, your potential using your name. He inspired you that your potential could be beyond just selling real estate, but in teaching others to replicate what you were doing with investing in rentals, right? Exactly. And a lot of it is with the mindset shifts, right? Of like the things I'm sure within Cutco, they teach and do have a lot of training on. And also within Keller Williams, we train a lot on mindset and shifting. Hey, there are so many limiting beliefs that we're putting in our heads, but really speaking things um, and affirming actions. I remember taking Bold, which is a course within Keller Williams, building objectives life by design. And I would stand up, we would have to say I'm your name and that you're bold, but I would say I'm Jenny Locke and I'm bold and I'm 30 under 30. This was even before I got licensed. And I would say that as if it has happened. And then a couple of years later, I was able to get that award. And I remember actually Actually, one of the guys, Jeremy Katzen, I believe he was a Cutco guy. And it was a time that I was communicating with you and I was like, wow, there's a Cutco guy. I'm going to send a picture with him to Dan to be able to lock in this listing. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You were at an event. It was Jeremy Caton okay. and you were, at, you were at an event and met him. And uh, that is, that is pretty funny. You, you definitely uh, pulled out all the stops to get, to get me as a customer back then. And I'm glad to hear that it's turned into something a whole lot more than just one sale that happened that one day, but that uh, all these relationships you've built and uh, you know, the way that you've shifted your thinking towards helping others and guiding others and starting your, your business you have now is, uh, has all panned out from that. It's pretty cool. I want to hear more about your experience in uh, investing in rentals. So we understand the first one, which was the house you bought that you lived in and rented out other rooms in. Mm-hmm. That led you to a much less expensive, easy to get into single family in Alabama, which mm-hmm. was profiting right from day one. Yeah. And then where'd you go from there? Yeah. And then I uh, went to Texas, we went to San Antonio, which is an hour away from Austin. And we saw Austin is a booming market. And it's similar to how San Francisco and San Jose is, uh, where it's about an hour away. So there's a lot of growth in that area. So we bought a house out there in San Antonio and bought it for about $130,000 and was renting it out for about $1,300 a month and getting good cash flow and good appreciation there. And then 
I would go to a lot of different meetups. I actually hosted a lot of uh, real estate meetup events. And one of the investors who would come, he owned three, four plexes in Kansas City. And at the time, I would just say, hey, I'm going to buy those from you. And I wasn't really serious, but I think just saying it out loud, I wasn't able to afford more properties at that time. But then uh, a year later, I was like, okay, we bought one and then bought the second one a few months afterwards. And a year after that, bought the next one. So we got 12 units in Kansas City, Missouri. And those we bought for a about $180,000 and it's renting out for $2,600 a month total for each fourplex. And from there, I was like, wow, there's something here. So we wanted to scale up. And then we ended up purchasing back in Huntsville, Alabama area and got a 16 unit in the area and for about 1.1 million and uh, put $200,000 down for that. And um, that one is renting well above like 16 units for 1.1 versus in the Bay area. Now we can't even get a single family for 1.1. Yeah. So you got a 16 unit apartment complex Mm -hmm. for 1.1 million. So Mm -hmm. we're talking about, we're talking about like 70,000 per unit, Mm -hmm. roughly if quick math in my head. And each unit rents for, for what? About six fifty to seven fifty per month. So what we're doing with that is we are improving it by putting new paint and then floors. And then when we're increasing the rents, we're able to increase the net operating income. So we're going to refinance it out and be able to pull our initial investment up to two hundred thousand dollars out. So um, the value will be worth close to one point five million by the time we increase all the rents within a few months. So those right. are the strategies where real estate is awesome, where we're able to just turn our money and not keep our initial money in. And it was also a great uh, tax advantage as well too, because uh, I was able to depreciate the property. So if you own a rental property, you are able to depreciate it over 27 and a half years. But now there's something called accelerated depreciation and we can accelerate all that depreciation within one year. So let's say if the property is worth a million dollars and then you are able to depreciate the building value of $800,000, you can offset that $800,000 within one year for your income. And I was able to offset my whole income for last year and not have to pay taxes because it's through bonus depreciation. Through bonus depreciation. Okay. And that's like, I'm trying to understand how that it would be advantageous to take all that depreciation at once versus Mm -hmm. metered out year over year. If you're going to keep the property, does it make sense to just take the depreciation year after year? Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're going to sell the property quickly, it makes sense to take more depreciation sooner. How does that work? We still plan on keeping the properties because it's good cash flow and we're banking on more of the appreciation as well. We're not going to get depreciation as much anymore. But if you're seeing that the market, the government is constantly printing more money. So the value of the dollar today is going to be worth much more than the value in 27 years. So you're able to depreciate the same amount in 27 years. Might as well depreciate it now and get the tax savings and not pay your taxes up front today. And the goal is to just keep buying properties every year so that we are just depreciating constantly every year, even if it's fully depreciated. Got it. Got it. So the flip side of taking that depreciation earlier is that you you won't be able to reduce your income in future years but you're getting more bang for the buck by taking the depreciation mm-hmm. in a lump sum versus mm-hmm. taking portions of it when 
inflation has risen. Exactly. Right. Just with the tax savings itself that we don't have to pay upfront now, that's enough to pay for a down payment for our next property. And then let's say in 2021, we're buying another property, which we're under contract for a 36 unit for 1.5 million. So that's about $42,000 per unit. And we're going to depreciate that for this year. And then the tax savings we're getting from this year, we're going to save money to be able to buy another property next year. Yeah. Where is the 36 unit property? It's also in Alabama. <laughs> a lot okay. of places in Alabama. People ask maybe like why why Alabama? But um, NASA is out there, aerospace engineering is out there, US Army is out there as well. They have a few manufacturing plants of so Mazda, and then they also are um, building a second headquarters for the FBI. So there's a lot of growth out in that area. And the property tax rate is a lot lower, about 0.6% is the average that we've been seeing versus in San Francisco Bay Area, we're seeing about 1.3% is a property tax rate. Okay. And how do you manage these uh, apartments in Alabama? Definitely hire a property manager. (laughs) I learned my mistakes from my first property in the first single family home that I bought for 67,000. And I said, oh, I want to save some money and not pay for a property manager um, because that's going to be about 10% of the rent. And the tenant ended up paying late and then stopped paying. And he was also a smoker. And I told him, hey, you can't smoke inside the house. You can smoke outside. But that was a red flag. And then he smoked all up in the house and had to repaint all the walls. It's hard to get this, uh, the smell out. So had to evict him. Luckily, it's a very landlord-friendly state out there. So it was easy to get the tenants out. If it was in California, it would be a different story. But even from those pitfalls, we were able to uh, grow and learn. And I realized, okay, I'm going to hire a property manager out there. And then our um, some of the learning lessons is great property managers might be great for residential, but they might not be great for commercial. So you want to find a commercial like residential manager who knows how to split up utilities and such. So that's where uh, we have a commercial property manager out there who's actually helping us improve. He's the project manager to improve the units and painting and doing the floors and increasing the rents from the 550 to 650 to the 800 mark per unit. And he gets a bonus of like if we have a 95% plus occupancy, then he gets a higher percentage of property management. Okay, great. Great. And so your property manager specializes in multifamily properties, right? There are property managers that specialize in single family properties. My neighbor next door to me, literally next door where I live, manages like 300 single family homes or something like that, or maybe it's more than that. But a large portfolio of single family homes all around the South Bay. That's a different type of specialty than somebody who specializes in managing apartment complexes. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you found somebody that specializes in the apartment properties. Mm-hmm. Okay. What are the other considerations that somebody should go through when they're thinking about getting involved in purchasing rental properties, building a rental portfolio? So a great rule of thumb right now with the interest rates being so low, around 3%, you can borrow about five to six times what you make. So if you're making $100,000, you can borrow about five hundred dollars to $600,000. And that can purchase about 
two to three properties in these areas in Texas and Alabama and Kansas City. I've talked to a few Cutco guys over in South Carolina and coaching them in Minnesota as well too. So there's definitely great deals all around. So that's the first step to really look into. And I like how I did it, the approach of house hacking and being able to offset and not pay someone else's rent and mortgage. So offsetting your rent, living somewhere so you can live rent free and then be able to build that equity to scale and purchase more. Some other rough rule of thumb with a great out-of-state investment is to make sure that they are in landlord-friendly states versus tenant-friendly states. (laughs) So for example, San Francisco is very tenant-friendly and I've heard horror stories where they're not paying rent and they also caused a fire in the house as well too. And then the landlord had to pay them to leave. (laughs) So that, and it could be upwards of $50,000 to pay a tenant to leave who wasn't paying rent versus in Texas, if you're not paying rent, then the sheriff will go out there in a few weeks or like within like a week to kick out the tenant. So those are some of the items to look out for. Some other rules of thumb to look out for is roughly the 1% rule. So it's not a hard set rule, but for example, if you're buying a $100,000 property, you want it to rent close to $1,000 a month. So then you'll definitely get that cash flow. And it really depends on your personal investment strategy, whether you want appreciation or cash flow or a mix of both. For our Bay Area properties, more appreciation. And then for Kansas City, is going to be more cash flow. And then Texas is going to be a blend of the two. Yeah. I mean, appreciation is good if you're trying to accumulate to be able to buy something bigger, better for yourself mm-hmm. down the road. But once you have your own home you're living in, like I do... I keep telling my wife, like buying for appreciation is not going to help us. It's going to help our kids. Like, I don't want to buy for appreciation. I want to buy for cash flow, mm-hmm. right? Because once you can start, once your cash flow equals your monthly income at your job, you're now working your job for fun, mm-hmm. which is a nice place to be, right? Like, I don't think everybody who's listening to this podcast is thinking, I want to replace my income so I can quit working. Some might. But I think a lot of people are thinking like, hey, I like what I do, right? But it'd be nice if it's, you know, my income is already assured and I'm now working for fun and doing what I love and, you know, saving and banking all that extra income, you know, for other things in the future or, or for, the, you know, their own kids. So I do think that mindset of appreciation versus cash flow is one of the most important considerations. And then I love hearing the 1% rule. That creates a really easy way for somebody to evaluate a property. I think the 1% rule, by the way, is like, if you, that's good 1%, right? If it's a little less than that, it's still okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's like the level where it's really, really positive. You buy a $500,000 property that can rent for 5,000 a month because there's, you know, it's, it's in a nice neighborhood and it's one big house or it's multi-units, right? Mm-hmm. That can rent for a combined 5,000. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I wish we could find anything even coming close to that here in California. I mean, that's like a joke for us in California. But then the, also that you can borrow five to six X your income. That's a good concept for people to learn about and know about. So excellent. And easy math. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those were some good considerations. What about pitfalls? Like you've talked about making sure you have a good manager. What other pitfalls are there to avoid? So definitely having a great property manager is important and having someone to look through the deal as well with you. And 
even like my first deal, I didn't really know what I was doing out of state. I was like, okay, I just want to buy something. I'm fairly competitive. So my boyfriend was buying something as well too. So I wanted to beat him and buying a second property. We actually have a bet every year because he's uh, in tech sales and we have a bet of like who ever makes more money here then the loser has to buy the other the winner of rental property um, so that's where we've been switching off every year of just buying each other the properties but some of the pitfalls to just really look out for is what kind of neighborhood as well and you don't want to be in a like D class neighborhood, what we would call. And how we look at that is typically looking at the schools. Um, so we look on Redfin or Zillow and if the schools are one and the crime maps and truly are just a lot of crime happening. We tend to avoid those areas because then if I don't feel safe going there, like the property managers might not feel safe collecting rent there. And these are uh, tenants who might not necessarily pay on time and the appreciation might not quite be there. So I typically look at between like B class and C plus neighborhoods. We don't typically buy in the A plus neighborhoods because most of those people are are looking to purchase, um, not rent. So those are some items. I've had issues where I had like a big tree in my Huntsville property and the plumbing issues went wrong. There was a a big storm and the branches fell on the roof. So I ended up selling that property because I didn't want to deal with the headache anymore. But even when I did so many things wrong of like not really looking at a great inspection report and not hiring a property manager off the bat and just getting a bad tenant. I still made money. So I sold it for 115,000 three years later. So my initial 15,000 investment was able to triple to 45,000. And I did a 1031 exchange, which means that any rental property, any capital gains, you don't have to pay, you defer your taxes right. to a like kind or a higher value property. So I ended up buying one of those fourplexes I mentioned in Kansas City for 180,000 and I'm cash flowing about 600 to 800 dollars a month on that depending on like utilities and such. So cash flow from 150 to about 600 to 800 with that same initial $15,000 investment. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So cool. Any other pitfalls that uh, come to your mind? Other pitfalls are overall just making sure you manage your budget. And sometimes, for example, like there's different utilities and there's going to be a common area utility for the large multi-units and making sure you're paying for that and you're accounting for those in your numbers. And other items is like buying in a flood zone, for example, or in California, we're in high fire hazard severity zones in a lot of areas. So that can offset a lot of your cash flow if you are in hazardous zones. So make sure you add those within your numbers. But definitely always get an inspection done on your property and have multiple eyes look on it. But even when you're not buying the best deal, it's time in the market. It's better than timing the market because even that deal like was able to appreciate and grow. Yeah. Excellent. Great stuff. So what got you excited about coaching others uh, in this process? Thanks for asking. I think after um, coaching with Michael Chu's program with his group and seeing the wins and successes of people from around the country, I'm like, wow, like these 20, 21 year olds can do it and buy properties. 
And my friends who are in their late 20s, 30s are not buying properties and they just don't know what they don't know. And just had people started reaching out and I wanted to share the the wins and the successes. And uh, like you said earlier of having people be able to really enjoy their life a little more and enjoy what they're doing. And a lot of people within corporate don't love their jobs and they're just going through the grind. But what if they were able to perform better at work because they know that they can uh, be able to purchase this investment property by uh, their bonuses and such. So I really feel like Calvin, he still works in corporate, but why he does so well in corporate is because he wanted to increase his income to purchase more properties. I treat each property as like, hey, like this $200,000 place that I am buying is that in 20 years, like when my kids are going to college, I can, the value would at least double. So $200,000 to $400,000. So I'll be able to refinance and pull that money out and pay for college or whatever they want to do if they want to be an entrepreneur. And they'll still be able to have the cash flow to pay for their monthly expenses and such. And then that same property, let's say if my parents are getting a little older and sick and then uh, be able to help pay for their medical bills upfront because that can be very expensive. So because I know we're in our age group, we're not going to have social security. We don't have pensions. So it's really creating our own retirement fund. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's where we created Zen Coast University. Zen is providing that peace of mind of being able to live a life that you want to live and teach you the A to Zs of the Zen of real estate investing. And coast is so that you can travel and live uh, coast through your life and see all around the world. I feel like so many of us are trapped in a bubble of like our day-to-day jobs, but there's so much out there. Like I'm really grateful I had the opportunity of studying abroad in uh, both Copenhagen and also in Singapore uh, when I was in college. And that really opened my eyes. And I actually got to take my parents on a trip two years ago to Barcelona, Madrid, and that was their first time in Europe because they work their whole life and they don't speak English, so let alone Spanish. So for them, traveling is tough. So I wanted to uh, be able to show them the world. And that's where being able to teach my friends like, hey, how can you coast through your life too uh, through real estate investments? Excellent. So inspiring. Jenny, I love what you said about motivating people to do better at their work. Like if you're in a current role, having reasons is what's going to get you ahead and, and, you know, keep you motivated and inspired. And if one of your reasons for working, you know, a little bit more effectively and doing a better job of what you do is that the extra, you know, 10 or 50 or hundred grand you can make can be turned into a a growing real estate portfolio. That's going to be paying you back in the future. uh, That's a great reason, you know, and I would love to see a lot more of our young people, ramping up their efforts and ramping up their income so that they can be able to build the kind of real estate portfolio that you've built. It's really an exciting thing. What are some of your current goals and aspirations? Thank you. So I know you always ask about like great books. So the book that I always recommend is The Vivid Vision by Cameron Harold. And within my Vivid Vision and my goals is to, uh, by the end of this year, have over 120 students in the beaches of the Philippines so I can visit my virtual assistants out there as well too and just really celebrate life and celebrate all their wins and their successes and be able to see countries all around the world with my parents, my family and 
be able to take the month off. I think that's really hard for us as salespeople to do. And especially in real estate, we're always on the go of like, even at nighttime after people are off work and weekends are full. So being able to really scale up a business to be able to take a whole month off or work wherever we want is the main goal. And just to uh, my big vision using my last name is to unlock the potential of our network to be able to live a dream life that they couldn't have dreamed of. That's so great. That's so great. And, you know, I always ask people about, you know, how they want to change people's lives and, and uh, you've uh, you've hit on some great stuff here about being able to give people the tools to build a passive income around what they're currently doing, the reasons to do better at their current job, and just uh, so much good stuff that, uh, that you're, you're sharing with people. Have you got any last things that you want to share with the audience? I would say definitely figure out figure out what is your big reason and be your big why. Mine is my parents. And I had a conversation earlier today and um, not being able to see them. I, I realized how often I get to see them is maybe 10 days out of the year. And if they're going to live another 30 years or so, that's only 300 days. So really cherish t- the time that you have and how do we invest to be able to get more time with our family. So really focus on that. I also, uh, Ben actually helped me th- with this, but I put on my calendar every single morning to call my mom and dad. I put mommy and daddy since my last, it's Jenny with an IE. So <laughs> I like to always um, share that with others to start your day of your big why. Excellent. Well, Jenny, this has been great. You've offered a lot of value for the audience. I'm really glad that we got together for this conversation. Uh, Grateful for having you on. Thanks for being part of the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. All right. Jenny Locke, everyone. So cool to hear how sales was in her blood from an early age. I'm not sure how she eluded the Cutco recruiters back when uh, she got out of high school. But uh, you guys out there in Brooklyn, you missed one here. I love the progression of her properties. So the first one was a property for her to live in. It was a single family home. It's here in the San Francisco Bay Area, so it's not cheap. It was $870,000. That probably equates to about a $300,000 type of property in many other places in America or even less. So it wasn't a low-end property by any stretch of the imagination, but it also wasn't a high-end property by any stretch of the imagination. And she lived in it and rented out the extra rooms so that she could basically have those rentals pay for her mortgage. And the down was acquired by taking out an equity line on her parents' house. So she was fortunate to have had that opportunity to be able to get that down. Sometimes you need that little break to get the ball rolling. Other times you need to just accumulate and save in order to be able to get the ball rolling. But then she got into her first rental, which was a single family home in Alabama, purchased for $67,000. Then that led her to a single family home in San Antonio, purchased for $130,000, which led into three fourplexes, 12 units total in Kansas City, purchased for $180,000 each fourplex. And then the Huntsville, Alabama apartment complex which I believe has led her into a second apartment complex in Alabama. Both of those were a little over a million dollars. Pretty cool to hear that progression. Of course, during this time, she got involved in selling real estate, worked on a a very successful real estate team. That's where she and I met. Recognizing how sharp she was and 
you know, just how talented she was. I thought she would fit in really well with some of the Petco Vector alumni community that I knew existed here in the Bay Area. I introduced her to Michael Ambrosino and Ben Scamper, and that set her off on this new path where she got excited about coaching and teaching others. Great to hear that she's doing well with that now, as well as continuing to sell real estate and to be able to put it all together, you have to have your vivid vision, she said. What is your vivid vision? What are your reasons why? Finding those things can help you to achieve anything you want. We hope this episode will help you to unlock your potential. Thanks, Jenny Locke, for sharing your insights and wisdom with our audience here today. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.